It's amazing, isn't it, that every single year we come to this wonderful spot on the, on the, the kind of calendar where we stop and reflect on the reality that God has interrupted us in our world. How many of us like to be interrupted? How many of us at times need to be interrupted? See, sometimes I think we have a flow of thought or a trajectory of heart or a, a, a pursuit of something and it needs to be interrupted because unless God interrupts those things, we end up in places and we end up in times and seasons in our life that we would never have imagined we'd ever, ever arrive. The Bible puts it this way. It says, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but its road leads to destruction. Aren't you glad that Jesus interrupted your life? Aren't you glad that Jesus interrupted what was happening in our world? He came with his kingdom into the midst of all of the brokenness of humanity and began a revolution. And I know that we see him as this baby in a manger, but he's not a baby in a manger anymore. He's not a broken man on a cross either. He's alive. He's alive. And he's coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. But the narrative starts with God interrupting humanity and sending the one who was glorious to us so that we could have new life and new relationship with him. In fact, he came to fully restore us to the relationship he always intended for us. He has come into our lives, but more importantly, he has brought his life to us. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I have come that you should have life and life in all its fullness. I don't know what you think God is like, but can you imagine what life and life in all its fullness is like? I think it can only be found in relationship with Jesus Christ. He came into our world so that he could bring his world into our hearts. And you know, 33 years ago, 34 years ago, that experience started an adventure for me that took me down pathways and highways to places and to people I never imagined I'd ever be part of. And God has this wonderful way of starting something, but he also has this incredible way of finishing it in our lives. If you have a Bible with you this afternoon, go to the book of Ephesians for me. I know it's a little bit of an odd place to talk about Christmas from, but I want to talk about Christmas this afternoon from a slightly different place. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 16 through to 18 together. This is Paul praying for the church at Ephesus. A whole bunch of ordinary people like you and I who've had this extraordinary encounter with God. People whose lives were heading in one direction and in fact God interrupted them too. And they found themselves caught up in the glorious story of Jesus' kingdom and his advancing kingdom here on earth. Paul prays in verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your innermost being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Look with me, please, at the beginning sentence there, verse 16. I pray that you, out of his glorious riches. You know, I want to just highlight to you something that I think I need consistent reminding of. This relationship I have with God was never and could never be initiated by me. In any attempt I have ever made to try and reach the heart of God, I have found myself being completely bewitched by my human effort. 
But I am absolutely grateful and forever and eternally will be so that the initiation for this relationship that I call salvation or Christianity was God and God alone out of his glorious riches, out of God's overwhelming abundance, out of God's spectacular nature, out of God's spectrum of majesty, he has initiated relationship with you and with me. Aren't you grateful for that? Because if this was us trying to reach him, we truly would be in a dilemma. How many of us have tried to reach God? Here's some of the ways people do this. They try and reach God by being better people. How are you doing with that? One step forward maybe, two steps back. How many of us in this room have tried to be better people? In a few days' time, we'll be making what we call New Year's resolutions. We're all going to be thinner, taller, cleaner, more spiritual, more loving, more attentive. And by January the 3rd, you will resort back to some of your defaults like I do. With all the best intentions in the world, how can a dead man create a new life? We simply need God to initiate something. There was a time when we tried to do it through religion. Have you ever tried to reach God through religion? You know, even as a Christian, I've tried to impress God with my religious practices. You know, I've fasted for three times in my life for 40 days. This is the result of such a fasting. You see, it didn't really work for me at all. In fact, it wrecked my metabolism because I don't believe those fasts were initiated by God. Well, maybe one of them, but the other two were about human effort trying to impress God, trying to please God, trying to do something to twist God's arm up his back to get him to do things that I would like him to do. How many of you have exalted all kinds of energies trying to make God do something? Yes? Or trying to impress God? Well, I've got good news for you today. All of your religious practices do not impress him at all. The Bible says they are but filthy rags. God does not consider them worthy of even recognition. Why? Because what you have with him has a foundation stone that's so much greater than human effort. It's actually based on the benevolence and the goodness, the kindness, the generosity, and the spectrum of God's greatness. Out of his glorious riches, he came to you. Say that out loud. He came to me. You didn't come to him. You didn't come to him through good works and you didn't come through him to trying to be a religious person. You couldn't reach him by human effort. But the God who is divine and glorious and powerful and magnificent, he reached you through his efforts. God's abundance, his beauty, his fullness, everything that is in him reached out to touch anything and everything that is in you. Salvation, church, is not rooted in human activity. It's rooted in the initiation of God reaching out through mankind. It is the Father who has reconciled us to himself. We have not reconciled ourselves to him. He has done what it took for us to be reconciled to him. God gave himself. He gave himself to us in Jesus Christ. And he came into our hearts and our lives and he cleansed us to make us fit by forgiving us of our sins so that we can be reunited with him. God is the initiator of salvation and he offers invitation for anyone and everyone who would 
indeed allow him to do that for them, to come into relationship with him. Look at the second thing that Paul highlights for us as we think about this glorious invitation from God to be in relationship with him. He said, I pray that he may strengthen you with power in your innermost being. How many of us know that our innermost being is where the problem is? It's our innermost being that needs the most attention. You know, I know many of you, you love a selfie, don't you? But I wonder what you could do if you could actually take a picture of your soul. I wonder how many posts on Instagram that would get. Or how many likes you would get from people who even witnessed that. You see, we have a, given a lot of attention to the external in our lives. And in many ways, we have tried to alter the course of our life by appearing to be, or indeed endeavoring to be, better looking, smarter, cleverer, more engaged, the most wonderful life. I know all of you on Facebook have the most wonderful life. And I look at it in awe every Sunday. You never have a problem. You're all thin. And if you weren't thin before the photograph, you're thin after it. Some of you have skin that has no blemish, spot or wrinkle. You're ready for Jesus to return. And every filter known to mankind has been downloaded by you to ensure that you are indeed up to par. But the problem is not the external. The problem is the internal. You see, I can conform to a whole bunch of things, but I can never truly be transformed until the one who gives me transforming power begins to work his work inside of me. The real answer to the life that you want is not some external pontification, but actually it's a revelation that you by yourself, left to your own devices, have no hope whatsoever to become all that you desire to be. And you simply need God to strengthen you with power in your innermost being. You see, I believe that Jesus wants to make our hearts and our lives his home. So he took the initiative to come to engage in that kind of reality for us. And he invites us, even with his power, to prepare us for what that could truly look like. He alone has the power to transform you. Aren't you grateful for that? It's time to give up on all the other nonsense. Church, I'm being real with you. The church sometimes gets caught up in all of the stuff that everybody else is caught up with. You know, I want to suggest to you, there is more power living in you than there is anything that's powerful around you. God inside of you is greater than anything else that happens outside of you. And if you paid more attention to what was happening inside of you, you might find that what happens on the outside of you is far more pleasing. If you want a better life, get a better heart. If you want a better life, get a better sense of self. If you want a better life, get a deeper revelation of who Jesus is. If you want better relationships, come into relationship with the one who knows everything about relationships. If you want to know what love is, you don't need to sing the song. You just need to open up your heart and your life to Jesus. Okay. And if you want to know what it looks like to live as more than a conqueror, then allow the one who has conquered everything to rule and to reign and to preside and reside inside of your heart. You simply have the power of Christ inside you to transform everything about you. God wants to strengthen you with power in your innermost being. Now, this doesn't sound very much like the Christmas story, but actually it is very much the Christmas story. Jesus didn't come just to lie in a manger so we could have cattle and cows and, and virgins and stars. He came into our world so that he can turn it up the right way around. And he came 
out of God's overflowing heart to reach out to humanity. In fact, as you look across the scriptures, you see repeatedly and repeatedly that it's never man that tries to reach God effectively, but God through the prophets, through the leaders, through the teachers, keeps coming consistently to restore relationship with humanity. And Jesus is at the epicenter of all of those attempts. And he came out of the overflowing goodness of God so that we could have the life that Christ indeed desires for us. It is his power at work within us that actually is the very thing that's necessary for us to have the life that Jesus has indeed provided for us. So he will strengthen you with power in your innermost being. What does that actually look like? It means that he will bring us into agreement with our born again self. If you're a Christian here today and you're born again, you're a new creature in Christ and you have a battle on your hands. You have your old nature which will keep trying to steal you away from that which Christ has given you, which is a new nature, which is a born again nature. And you have the power of the Spirit in your life to bring you into the fullness of what Christ has already provided for you. When we are weak, we're drawn back into our flesh but the Spirit guides us and He leads us into the new life which Jesus Christ has already given His life for and is establishing in us. And there are four places where that new life needs to be manifest. In your mind. You see, one of the greatest things that robs you of your future is the way you think because you've been conditioned by your past. You know, I love it when Christians talk about the mind of Christ. I think they think that that means a mind that doesn't have a problem or it doesn't think a negative thought or it doesn't have a judgment. Actually, that's not even the truth. When we are asked to have the mind of Christ, we're asked to be able to think the way we were intended to think, like God created us to think. A mind with clarity about what is or isn't right or wrong. A mind with certainty that God is the answer to all of our endeavors. A mind that is clear pertaining life and love and relationships and truth. Jesus' invitation to us is not just to have a mind that has every bad thought removed from it, but actually he invites us to have a mind that's filled with the glorious thoughts of God. How are we doing on that? If we want Christ to dwell richly in our hearts, we will need our minds to be transformed. The Apostle Paul writes these words in the book of Rome. He says, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're stuck somewhere, I guess pretty much so, it's probably because your mind is living from an old paradigm and has not come into agreement with your new born again reality. You need your mind to be renewed. Your stinking thinking is stopping you from having the life that Jesus Christ has indeed provided for you. And we need our mind consistently renewed. Is there anybody here who has this problem? Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't get what you wanted and you wished that you'd said some things? Been in a row with anybody recently? Anybody? Come on, I know Christians don't have rows, but for the benefit of your friend who couldn't make it today. Been in an argument with anybody recently? Tell the truth. Okay, come on, tell the truth. Do you, do you ever replay it in your mind and think, I should have said that? Oh, I really would have done well if I'd said that. <laughs> do, do you ever go over it and over it and over it? Do you know what the Bible says about that? Keep no record of wrongs. Make sense? So you want this new life, but you're rehearsing your old self. 
You want God to teach you, have glorious thoughts and a mind that's invigorated by truth and revelation and all the power of the Spirit at work, but actually you're operating from an old mindset. Do you know why you don't need to keep any record of wrongs as a Christian? Because Christ has dealt with everything. Why would you be raking it up when God is not bringing it up? Hello? What about this? You start to develop relationship with someone and you immediately jump to the conclusion that you better dump them before they dump you. Now, some of you beautiful people, you've never had this problem for those lesser mortals like myself. Okay, so you look at ways of testing whether or not that's going to happen. You put the phone down. No, you put the phone down. He loves me. He loves me not. Do you know, you don't love anybody more if you put the phone down last. Hello? What is that? That's an old mindset. You're trying to live this life where love abides and reigns, but you have a paradigm that consistently interrupts the process of trust. How many of us think we might need our mind renewing more than we first imagined? Here's another one. It's called a bitter root expectation. This is what they call it in counseling terms. So many bad things have happened to you that the only possible thing that you think will happen to you is another bad thing. And you try very hard to be optimistic. Anybody? Oh, it'll be okay this time. And because your spirit speaks louder than your voice, you almost create a perpetual problem for yourself. Now, if you've been rejected more than once, anybody been rejected more than once? Well, if it's not more than once, the day is young. Could happen by the end of the day, couldn't it? Who knows? You never know, do you? You know how fickle people are. Okay. You will find that you expect to be rejected. If you've been abandoned more than once, you will find that you expect to be abandoned. Now, God says, I'll never leave or forsake you, but you think, ah, oh, you have a truth that supersedes the truth because it's the truth that you've lived, not the truth that you have yet to live. And so it's important for us to know that when Christ comes to live in us, his power at work in us, it's there for our minds to be renewed. Now, I wonder how many things in your mind are going to interrupt your progress in the new year. I wonder how many things that you think are normal and indeed have been well established in the way you think are actually going to be challenged by the Holy Spirit in the new year. God wants to make your mind new. Why? Because this new life that God has initiated with you actually is determined or predetermined in many ways by your capacity to come into agreement with it. There's another place that the Lord wants to work in, and that's your willpower. Do you know, before I became a Christian, I had phenomenal willpower. Phenomenal. I wouldn't eat anything. You can see that's changed, can't you? You know, and I, I was so disciplined in my career. I was so relentless in my pursuit of what I thought was a valuable way of living my life. And when Jesus came into my life, he actually turned all of those things upside down. And he began to teach me that so much of my motivation to do or to be or to become something came out of a poverty spirit. I was so poor as a child, I determined in my heart 
that I would never be poor again. Anybody ever been through that? Now, I know there are some Christians that think that poverty is a good thing, but I would like to suggest to you, you've probably clearly never been poor. And and can I make a little observation with that? You can love God and have money. And you can have nothing and hate God. It isn't what you have that determines your love. It's what has you that determines your love. So my willpower was working towards this end game. And this end game was that I would be free to be able to have the life that I wanted. Do you know, can I just say, church, I look around at the church sometimes and even at my own life and I think we have this incredible capacity for willpower. But here's what we use it for. We use it to get out of something. If I can just get out of that way of thinking or I can just get out of that you know, cycle of self-abuse or I can just get out of that addiction or I can just... Your willpower was never given to you to get out of anything. Your willpower was given to you to come into submission and agreement with God. There is a difference between those two things. If you come into agreement with God, God's word, God's truth, God's reality about your life, you will come out of everything you need to come out of. But if you're preoccupied with sin, you will find yourself circling it like a shark in the water where there's blood. You need to get overwhelmingly connected to the reality that God's word is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And as you come into partnership with it and use your will to align your life with it, you will start to see his kingdom come in ever-increasing measures. And it's time to put our willpower to the test. In the year that lies ahead, you will have challenges. All kinds of things will come your way. And you will need to think differently about those challenges, but you will need to execute decisions based on your convictions around truth. God wants you to surrender your will to him. There are some people in this room and you've been fighting the same fight with Jesus for the last 10 or 15 years. Can I just encourage you? Give up. He always wins in the end. There are some people in this room and your willpower has taken you so far away from God. Could you imagine what it would look like if you executed discipline and connected your willpower with the Word of God and the truth of who God is? Where would you be in five months' time? Where will you be in six years' time? The decisions you make today will determine where your life will be in five years' time. We must make every decision based on agreement with the Word of God and the revelation of who He is for us. So God desires to live in our lives in the fullness of His capacity to engage with us in our minds and also in our will. The other area that He wants to do something good for us in is in our emotions. You know, I don't know about you, but before I get out of bed, I've had 20 emotions. Are you like that? People say, don't let your emotions rule your life. I don't know if my emotions rule my life, but certainly before I'm conscious, it rules everything. But you know, emotions are powerful things, aren't they? Have you ever been hurt by somebody? Talk to me, I can go home and be ignored. (laughs) Have you ever been hurt by somebody? Isn't it amazing that 20 years can pass and you can see that person in a room, you have completely forgotten about them, and suddenly all of that floods back? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that that if you've ever done or been part of something that caused you to feel like a failure or, or shame, it only takes one little word at the end of a long sentence of affirmation 
that's slightly negative and suddenly you're back in the spiral of negativity? Have you noticed that? People can say, oh, you're looking lovely today. I think your hair is amazing. I think your smile is fantastic. And by the way, please don't sit on my seat. And you've remembered none of the first. <laughs> do, do you know what I'm talking about? You just remember, don't sit on my seat. They don't like me. They don't want me. They don't need me. Because your emotions are powerful. And they're affecting sometimes the way we live our lives. And indeed, how we engage with our relationship with God. And then there's our conscience. Some of us have been so long on the journey with Jesus, if we're not careful, we can allow our consciences to become jaded. We've been around this enough and seen enough and heard enough and experienced enough. And actually, if we're truly honest, we don't have a great appetite anymore to come into a place of submission or connection with God. I was kneeling on the floor earlier because I sensed that the Holy Spirit was moving. I sensed that God was touching hearts. I sensed that God was healing lives, that God was moving a little bit in people's minds. Why was I kneeling? Because I know that it's so easy for us to take that for granted. It's so easy for that to turn in to just another song or another moment and we move along with our program. What about this for coming under the auspices of coming into partnership with God? What about us saying, God, let your kingdom come. God, let your will be done. And if we don't get through the whole thing today, is that not okay? Clearly it's not. We have routines and rituals and procedures and, and programs, and yet He is the person. The Holy Spirit is a person, and He comes amongst us. So God wants to work in those four places of your life. This beautiful power that's at work in you is to renew your mind it's to restore your will so it comes into partnership with God. It's to heal your emotions and make you well. And it's indeed to work in your conscience. And then look at the third thing that Paul suggests to us. He says that the evidence of the Spirit at work in us is that we have faith. Now, when I heard this, I thought that seemed a little bit like it was back to front. You know, sometimes when I think we're trying to lead people into relationship with Jesus, we say, just have the faith to believe that Jesus Christ died for you. Now, if you go back over those conversations you had with God, let's be really honest about it. You didn't really have that much faith. And whatever faith you had, as you reflect upon it, it probably wasn't well positioned. It was probably a little bit confused. You see, faith is a byproduct of intimacy with God. When I'm in relationship with God, when I feel His power at work in my life, I can believe all kinds of things. In fact, it becomes an evidence to the world around me of the God who lives inside of me. And faith isn't me believing that God is going to make my life sweet and problem-free. You know, the gift of faith isn't that you should have an easy life. Sorry, did I say something wrong? I know that you think that's what it's for, but the gift of faith isn't that you should have an easy life. The gift of faith is that you can have the life of Christ. Faith is about God's character. It's about His nature. I was standing somewhere a couple of months ago and I recognized that everything that God gave me as a gift, He gave so that I would give it to Him. Now, first of all, that wasn't a new thought, but it became a fresh thought to me. What about this? What about every revelation that you have from the scriptures, which created faith in your heart to believe in God in some way, actually was given to you 
to deepen your affection for Jesus. It wasn't given to you so you could make your last million. Or even prophesy over somebody who's homeless. What if every gift that's given to us, every revelation that's afforded to us, every time God opens up his soul to us, is truly and utterly given to us so that our affection for him, our love for him, our devotion for him, and our ministry to him actually is strengthened. I tell you what, if we start to think like that, we'll start to see everything that God gives us has the capacity to give us this glorious reality of him in every situation we find ourselves in. So Paul tells us that faith is as a result of the abiding power of God, which was initiated by the God who is glorious and abundant. Now let me finish with this. And the goal of all of this isn't that we attend church, (coughs) which isn't a bad thing to do, but it's not the goal. The goal of all that God has done for us isn't that we are compliant to a set of rules and regulations. I've met all kinds of Christians over the years and some people are just the best kind of people in the worst kind of way. They do all the right things but you wouldn't want to be caught in a lift with them. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, some people are more religious than Jesus. more judgmental than whatever. They've tried to live this good life and it's actually done something to them. So the goal of Christ coming for us and the goal of the Spirit working in us and the goal of faith which is evidenced by His presence is not that we are compliant to a set of rules or regulations. Paul writes it here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, and this is the invitation, this is the full reconciliation, that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people and listen to the scope of this power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Why did the Father in his benevolence reach out to you? Why in the Father in his kindness give the Holy Spirit's power to you? Why in the Father's wisdom did he allow the manifestation of that abiding presence of God in your life to be the fact that you are growing in confidence in knowing who he is and all that he desires for your life. The reason for all of that is that you would be rooted and established. Rooted deeply in the reality of the nature and the person of God and established gloriously as you grow up into the person God intended you to be. I finish with one story. My wife's mother used to work in a little factory. You may have heard of it. It's not very well known, but if you like chocolate, it may have come across your radar, called Cadbury's. Has anybody heard of them? Yep. They're a little, (laughs) 
just a little family business <clears throat> running out of a place in Birmingham, right at the heart of a residential place in Birmingham called Bourneville. And just about everybody in the area that lived within the radius of about 10 miles worked at the Cadbury's plant. In fact, many marriages were formed there. We have all kinds of relatives who met their spouses. They weren't spouses at the time, but friends that became spouses. And uh, indeed, Jane's mum used to work there. In fact, it was there that she met some of the relatives that indeed led her to marry Jane's father, which uh, he was a Christian, and her mum and he, they had a wonderful marriage together. God was working at Cadbury's. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now you know why it's so important at Christmas. That's why chocolate is so central to everything. Okay, but he, they used to have this little policy when you came to work at Cadbury's, to stop people from stealing the chocolate, they would let you eat as much chocolate as you wanted. Okay? And over the course of many weeks, you could dip your hand into anything. I think you had to wear gloves, but you could eat and taste. And So everybody who worked at Cadbury's dislikes chocolate. <laughs> okay? Because they have overkilled the opportunity to, to facilitate the, the generosity of the employer. But one of the things that used to happen at the end of the year is on these conveyor belts, they'd make vast amounts of chocolate and you could go to the Cadbury shop. Yes, there is such a thing, Cadbury shop. And in the Cadbury shop are all of the rejects that didn't actually reach the standards. Now, you know, the goal of any business is not to have any rejects because that's lost income. But actually, all of the employees could either take some home or if you were a guest, you could come and you could buy some. And so every Christmas as Jane grew up, she had all kinds of misshapen Cadbury's chocolate to eat and her mother got it for free. Isn't that good? And you know, I remember when I first started dating Jane, her mom would take out her misshapen Cadbury's chocolates and she would offer me one. And I think, I think that looks like a hazelnut whirl. I'm not sure whether it's a hazelnut whirl. It's kind of similar, but not quite. You know, when you're trying to choose a chocolate, do you, are you like me? I only have about three that I like anyway. I know the PR looks different, but I only have three that I like. Okay. And so I would try and work out from this misshapen piece of chocolate, whether it was a a hazelnut whirl, or one of my favorites, and please, please buy me loads. <laughs> Was anything with a caramel in the middle of it? Because I don't want to work my mouth for anything other than talking. And so I looked at these things once, and I was watching her, and there was various shapes and sizes, and I felt God say to me that actually the reality of our lives is simply this, that we have all somehow through the factory of human experience with the best of intentions ended up slightly misshapen. In fact, some of us are so misshapen from our original design, we're almost unrecognizable. But Jesus came into our world. He came to redeem that which is lost. He came to restore that which has been misshapen. He came to renew that was been forsaken. And the message of the gospel is that Christ at Christmas time came and did for us what we could never do by ourselves. Out of the overwhelming abundance of God, he sent the precious one Jesus into our world. He broke in on us in the midst of our brokenness so that his beauty could start a work in us. By the power of his spirit, he began to change our misshapen lives, putting us back into our original design. 
taking away the things that the world has done to us and realigning ourselves with our truest identity. No longer on the conveyor belt of all that has happened to us, God has redefined a new reality for anyone who is in relationship with him. And that new reality has its fullness whenever we start to understand and grasp how wide and long and deep and high the love of God truly is for us. And it's out of that that we become the most effectual people to be able to affect the world around us for good. If you don't know Jesus this Christmas, then let him take the initiative to reach into your life. If you're trying to change by human effort or endeavor, please stop striving and let the one who comes to abide begin the transforming work within you. He knows where everything is and he'll find everything that's lost and he will restore to you your truest original design. And his goal is not just to get you to say great faith statements and turn up at meetings. His goal ultimately is far greater than that. It's that you would, ignore, you would know his expansive nature, the heights, the depths, the breadths, and the depths of the love of God.